Chapters 1 and 2 of Book 8 of Les Miserables, Volume 5, by Victor Hugo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joyce Martin. Les Miserables, Volume 5, by Victor Hugo. Translated by Isabel Florence Hapgood. Book 8 the fading away of the twilight chapter one the lower chamber on the following day at nightfall jean valjean knocked at the carriage gate of the galenormand house it was basque who received him basque was in the courtyard at the appointed hour as though he had received his orders it sometimes happens that one says to a servant you will watch for mr so-and-so when he arrives Basque addressed Jean Valjean without waiting for the latter to approach him. Monsieur le Baron has charged me to inquire whether Monsieur desires to go upstairs or to remain below. I will remain below, replied Jean Valjean. Basque, who was perfectly respectful, opened the door of the waiting room and said, I will go and inform Madame. The room which Jean Valjean entered was a damp, vaulted room on the ground floor which served as a cellar on occasion which opened on the street, was paved with red squares and was badly lighted by a grated window. This chamber was not one of those which were harassed by the feather-duster, the Pope's head-brush, and the broom. The dust rested tranquilly there. Persecution of the spiders was not organized there. A fine web, which spread far and wide and was very black and ornamented with dead flies, formed a wheel on one of the window-panes. The room, which was small and low-sealed, was furnished with a heap of empty bottles piled up in one corner. The wall, which was daubed with an ochre-yellow wash, was scaling off in large flakes. At one end there was a chimney-piece painted in black with a narrow shelf. A fire was burning there, which indicated that Jean Valjean's reply, I will remain below, had been foreseen. Two armchairs were placed at the two corners of the fireplace. Between the chairs, an old bedside rug, which displayed more foundation thread than wool, had been spread by way of a carpet. The chamber was lighted by the fire on the hearth and the twilight falling through the window. Jean Valjean was fatigued. For days he had neither eaten nor slept. He threw himself into one of the armchairs. Basque returned, set a lighted candle on the chimney-piece, and retired. Jean Valjean, his head drooping and his chin resting on his breast, perceived neither Basque nor the candle. All at once he drew himself up with a start. Cosette was standing beside him. He had not seen her enter, but he had felt that she was there. He turned round. He gazed at her. She was adorably lovely, but what he was contemplating with that profound gaze was not her beauty but her soul. "'Well,' exclaimed Cosette, "'Father, I knew that you were peculiar, but I never should have expected this. What an idea! Maurice told me that you wished me to receive you here.' "'Yes, it is my wish.' "'I expected that reply. Good. I warn you that I am going to make a scene for you. Let us begin at the beginning. Embrace me, father.' And she offered him her cheek. Jean Valjean remained motionless. "'You do not stir.' I take note of it. Attitude of guilt. But never mind, I pardon you. Jesus Christ said, Offer the other cheek. Here it is. 
and she presented her other cheek. Jean Valjean did not move. It seemed as though his feet were nailed to the pavement. "'This is becoming serious,' said Cosette. "'What have I done to you?' I declare that I am perplexed. You owe me reparation. You will dine with us. I have dined. That is not true. I will get Monsieur Gillermand to scold you. Grandfathers are made to reprimand fathers. Come, go upstairs with me to the drawing-room immediately. Impossible. Here Cosette lost ground a little. She ceased to command and passed to questioning. But why? and you chose the ugliest chamber in the house in which to see me. It's horrible here. Thou knowest. John Valjean caught himself up. You know, madam, that I am peculiar. I have my freaks. Cosette struck her tiny hands together. Madame, you know, more novelties. What is the meaning of this? Jean Valjean directed upon her that heart-rending smile to which he occasionally had recourse. You wished to be, madame, you are so. Not for you, father. Do not call me father. What? Call me Monsieur Jean, Jean, if you like. You are no longer my father. I am no longer Cosette. Monsieur Jean, what does this mean? Why, these are revolutions, aren't they? What has taken place? Come, look me in the face, and you won't live with us? And you won't have my chamber? What have I done to you? Has anything happened? Nothing. Well, then, everything is as usual. Why do you change your name? You have changed yours, surely. He smiled again with the same smile as before and added, Since you are Madame Pontmercy, I certainly can be Monsieur Jean. I don't understand anything about it. All this is idiotic. I shall ask permission of my husband for you to be Monsieur Jean. I hope that he will not consent to it. You cause me a great deal of pain. One does have freaks, but one does not cause one's little Cosette grief. That is wrong. You have no right to be wicked. You who are so good. He made no reply. She seized his hands with vivacity, and raising them to her face with an irresistible movement, she pressed them against her neck beneath her chin, which is a gesture of profound tenderness. Oh, she said to him, be good, and she went on. This is what I call being good, being nice and coming and living here. There are birds here as there are in the Rue Poulmet, living with us, quitting that hole of a Rue de Homme, not giving us riddles to guess being like all the rest of the world, dining with us, breakfasting with us, being my father. He loosed her hands. You no longer need a father. You have a husband. Cosette became angry. I no longer need a father. One really does not know what to say to things like that, which are not common sense. If Toussaint were here, resumed Jean Valjean, like a person who is driven to seek authorities and who clutches at every branch, she would be the first to agree that it is true that I have always had ways of my own. There is nothing new in this. I always have loved my black corner. But it is cold here. One cannot see distinctly. It is abominable. It is abominable, that it is, to wish to be, Monsieur Jean. I will not have you say you to me. Just now, as I was coming hither, replied Jean Valjean, I saw a piece of furniture in the Rue Saint-Louis. It was at a cabinet-maker's. If I were a pretty woman, 
I would treat myself to that bit of furniture, a very neat toilet in the reigning style, what you call rosewood, I think. It is inlaid. The mirror is quite large. There are drawers. It is pretty. How the villainous bear, replied Cosette, and with supreme grace, setting her teeth and drawing back her lips, she blew at Jean Valjean. She was a grace copying a cat. I am furious, she resumed. Ever since yesterday you have made me rage, all of you. I am greatly vexed. I don't understand. You do not defend me against Maurice. Maurice will not uphold me against you. I am all alone. I arrange a chamber prettily. If I could have put the good God there, I would have done it. My chamber is left on my hands. My lodger sends me into bankruptcy. I order a nice little dinner of Nicolette. We will have nothing to do with your dinner, madame, and my father, Fauchevent, wants me to call him Monsieur Jean, and to receive him in a frightful old ugly cellar where the walls have beards, and where the crystal consists of empty bottles, and the curtains are of spider's webs. You are singular, I admit that is your style, but people who get married are granted a truce. You ought not to have begun being singular again instantly." So you are going to be peacefully contented in your abominable Rue de la Marme. I was very desperate indeed there, that I was. What have you against me? You cause me a great deal of grief. Fie! And becoming suddenly serious, she gazed intently at Jean Valjean and added, Are you angry with me because I am happy? In Jean you ask, sometimes unconsciously, penetrates deep. This question, which was simple for Cosette, was profound for Jean Valjean. Cosette had meant to scratch, and she lacerated. Jean Valjean turned pale. He remained for a moment without replying. Then, with an inexpressible intonation, and speaking to himself, he murmured, Her happiness was the object of my life. Now God may sign me dismissal. Cosette, thou art happy. My day is over. "'Ah, you have said thou to me?' exclaimed Cosette, and she sprang to his neck. Jean Valjean, in bewilderment, strained her wildly to his breast. It almost seemed to him as though he were taking her back. "'Thanks, father,' said Cosette. This enthusiastic impulse was on the point of becoming poignant for Jean Valjean. He gently removed Cosette's arms and took his hat. "'Well,' said Cosette, I leave you, madame, they are waiting for you. And from the threshold he added, I have said thou to you, tell your husband that this shall not happen again. Pardon me. Jean Valjean quitted the room, leaving Cosette stupefied at his enigmatical farewell. Chapter 2 Another Step Backwards On the following day, at the same hour, Jean Valjean came. Cosette asked him no questions, was no longer astonished, no longer exclaimed that she was cold, no longer spoke of the drawing-room. She avoided saying either father or Monsieur Jean. She allowed herself to be addressed as you. She allowed herself to be called Madame. Only her joy had undergone a certain diminution. She would have been sad if sadness had been possible to her. It is probable that she had had with Marius one of those conversations in which the beloved man says what he pleases, explains nothing, and satisfies the beloved woman. The curiosity of lovers does not extend very far beyond their own love. The lower room had made a little toilet. 
Basque had suppressed the bottles and Nicolette the spiders. All the days which followed brought Jean Valjean at the same hour. He came every day because he had not the strength to take Marius's words otherwise than literally. Marius arranged matters so as to be absent at the hours when Jean Valjean came. The house grew accustomed to the novel ways of Mr. Fauchelevent. Toussaint helped in this direction. Monsieur has always been like that, she repeated. The grandfather issued this decree. He's an original. And all was said. Moreover, at the age of ninety-six, no bond is any longer possible. All is merely juxtaposition. A newcomer is in the way. There is no longer any room. All habits are acquired. Monsieur Fauchelevent, Monsieur Trachelevent, Father Guillenormand asked nothing better than to be relieved from that gentleman. He added, Nothing is more common than those originals. They do all sorts of queer things. They have no reason. The Marquis de Canopolis was still worse. He bought a palace that he might lodge in the garret. These are fantastic appearances that people affect. No one caught a glimpse of the sinister foundation, and moreover, who could have guessed such a thing? There are marshes of this description in India, where the water seems extraordinary, inexplicable, rippling, though there is no wind, and agitated where it should be calm. One gazes at the surface of these causeless ebullitions. One does not perceive the hydra which crawls on the bottom. Many men have a secret monster in this same manner, a dragon which gnaws them, a despair which inhabits their night. Such a man resembles other men. He goes and comes. No one knows that he bears with him a frightful parasitic pain with a thousand teeth, which lives within the unhappy man, and of which he is dying. No one knows that this man is a gulf. He is stagnant but deep. From time to time a trouble of which the onlooker understands nothing appears on his surface. A mysterious wrinkle is formed, then vanishes, then reappears, as air-bubbles rise and burst. It is the breathing of the unknown beast. Certain strange habits, arriving at the hour when other people are taking their leave, keeping in the background when other people are displaying themselves, preserving on all occasions what may be designated as the wall-colored mantle, seeking the solitary walk, preferring the deserted street, avoiding any share in conversation, avoiding crowds and festivals, seeming at one's ease and living poorly, having one's key in one's pocket and one's candle at the porter's lodge, however rich one may be, entering by the side door, ascending the private staircase, all these insignificant singularities, fugitive folks on the surface, often proceed from a formidable foundation. Many weeks passed in this manner. A new life gradually took possession of Cosette. The relations which marriage creates, visits, the care of the house, pleasures, great matters. Cosette's pleasures were not costly. They consisted in one thing, being with Marius. The great, the great occupation of her life was to go out with him, to remain with him. It was for them a joy that was always fresh to go out arm in arm in the face of the sun in the open street without hiding themselves before the whole world, both of them completely alone. Cosette had one vexation. 
Toussaint could not get on with Nicolette, the soldering of two elderly maids being impossible, and she went away. The grandfather was well. Marius argued a case here and there. Aunt Gallinumand peacefully led that life aside which sufficed for her. Beside the new household, Jean Valjean came every day. The address as thou disappeared, the you, the madame, the monsieur Jean, rendered him another person to Cosette. The care which he had himself taken to detach her from him was succeeding. She became more and more gay and less and less tender, yet she still loved him sincerely, and he felt it. One day she said to him suddenly, "'You used to be my father. You are no longer my father. You were my uncle. You are no longer my uncle. You were Monsieur Fauchelevent. You are Jean. Who are you then?' I don't like all this. If I did not know how good you are, I should be afraid of you. He still lived in the Rue de la Hommes-Armand, because he could not make up his mind to remove to a distance from the quarter where Cosette dwelt. At first he only remained a few minutes with Cosette, and then went away. Little by little he acquired the habit of making his visits less brief. One would have said that he was taking advantage of the authorization of the days which were lengthening. He arrived earlier and departed later. One day Cosette chanced to say father to him. A flash of joy illuminated Jean Valjean's melancholy old countenance. He caught her up. Say Jean! Ah, truly, she replied with a burst of laughter. Monsieur Jean! That is right, said he, and he turned aside so that she might not see him wipe his eyes. End of Book 8, Chapters 1 and 2, reading by Joyce Martin.